This is Creative Banter. Our primary driver for this episode revolves around following your curiosity. From continuing the conversation I had with Simon Baxter about maintaining a deeper awareness and connection with nature, to discussing the detrimental side effects of so many people venturing into nature, Ben and I ponder our ultimate impact as photographers, especially for those who run workshops in the popular national parks, and for those who showcase their photographic adventures on YouTube. What sort of impact are we truly having on the natural world that we may not immediately realize? Though this isn't an easy question to answer, it's one we must ask ourselves if we truly wish to embrace the principles of Leave No Trace. Let's dive right into it, shall we? thing that I wanted to talk about before we get into any kind of longer form conversation. Um, uh-huh. When was this? Monday on Memorial Day. I sat down with David Kingham and Matt Payne for F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Oh, cool. And we did a uh, three-way kind of interview or two-way interview, I guess, because it was David and me. But regardless, we sat down and we talked for a little over an hour about Nature Vision Magazine, which mm-hmm. is Nature Photographer Network's inaugural magazine that David and I have been cooking up for the past, oh God, three or four months, essentially the whole of this year we've been working mm-hmm. on this. So I just wanted to put it out there. The magazine is going to be releasing on June 28th, which is about two weeks after this episode goes live. Cool. Because this will go live on the 15th of June. Um, it's going to be launched while I'm in Acadia camping and far away from technology. Yeah. At least that's the plan, which is going to be nice. But, uh, yeah, we've got a ton of things planned for it. We've got, let's see, an interview with photographer David Hunter, who does a lot with, um, artist residencies. I think I've brought him up once or twice before. Yeah. we've, We've mentioned him in the past on the podcast. I also have an interview with an NPN member which I'm waiting back to finish up to finalize, kind of highlighting some some lesser known photographers and those part of the community who are doing some really solid work. Yeah, that's always really cool to see. And then we've also got, I did a monograph review of TJ Thorne's Ebb and Flow. Very cool. We have a number of different articles from various photographers like Chuck Kimmerly, Alfredo Mora, uh, Natalie Oberg, who is a large format photographer that we've again mentioned before yeah yeah i mean there's it's chock full of stuff matt already put up the interview on his patreon which is he did it free for everyone to listen to if you want to listen to that earlier than you will uh when it's truly accessible through spotify and other venues Mm -hmm. so i'll put a link to that in the show notes but yeah it was good to sit down and i realized how terrible i am at interviews and how much i ramble on about various things, which is why I never listen to my interviews, but yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, so for the magazine, is that going to be something that's included for all NPN members? Like how is that going to, to work out? Let me pull up uh, the actual website here. 
And I will say that I got a, a sneak peek of it. Um, and there were some pretty, pretty good, uh, there's a good assortment of articles and stuff from names that people will recognize and, um, some really, really solid work in there as well. So I think, I think it's something that'll be right up the alley of, of many people listening to this. Yeah, I definitely think it is a nice, um, kind of a supplemental thing to NPN. So the membership price, and this is all yearly for NPN is $49 a year. That hasn't changed. And that gets you obviously access to naturephotographers.network. And then you also have Nature Vision Magazine, which is again, $49 for the year. Mm -hmm. And that includes your inspiring articles, interviews with professionals, featured projects from NPN members, and it's a quarterly online magazine. And then if you want both NPN and Nature Vision, which is really how we, it's how we thought of all of this. We thought it was going to be very cohesive. It was meant to be, you have both. Yeah. And that's $89 a year. Oh, cool. Um, which gives you about a 10% discount. So yeah, it's um, still a lot of work to figure out how this is going to go in terms of what we are going to do with NPN and the articles. Because since I had taken over, we were pushing out at least three, if not four articles a month. And now all of that is kind of going towards the magazine instead. Yeah. And I think, I think what we're going to do is have some more technical articles, not like your typical um, 10 ways for a better landscape kind of thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no tips and tricks. But, yes. Yeah, exactly. No, no tips and tricks articles, but higher quality technical articles just to have something on the site more of you go to NPN for your learning, for your community building to get better with the technical side of photography. And then you go to Nature Vision Magazine to kind of get to the more um, inspirational, creative, philosophical side of things. Yeah. So stuff, stuff with more of a, a greater attention span to kind of really absorb and, and take in. And, and that sort of format's good for that sort of thing, um, where it's just, you know, separated from the web and the distractions and everything else that, that goes along with that. Exactly. Yeah. So. Like I said, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm excited to be a part of everything that we're doing here for, even though it's a lot of work and can be very stressful, but yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, I just yesterday, I was listening to the episode that you recorded with Simon Baxter. That was, that was a really good episode. I, I really enjoyed listening to, to your guys' conversation. Yeah, I thought it was great. I really was, uh, it was nice to talk to him and actually have like a one-on-one, -on -one, not really an interview kind of style of things. Um, yeah. And just to get more of a perspective on how he sees woodland photography and to actually see how um, parallel we are with our kind of viewpoints was nice. Yeah. And, and there were several things that he brought up, which I, I believe are likely common themes among most landscape photographers. Um, but we have just different ways of describing it, different ways of of calling it different things. But um, like he was talking about the, the sort of the, the lantern approach of just being more aware of your surroundings, and that's that's something that I very much relate to because it, it's a it's a certain mindset you have to put yourself in 
to intentionally be more aware of your surroundings. Um, and that's definitely a technique that I use when I, when I go on my trips, just engaging the senses and trying to put myself in that mindset. Then you start noticing all these things and you follow your curiosity. So it was really fascinating to hear his process of doing that for the uh, woodland photography. And I definitely saw many parallels to what I do in more of the desert areas, but just, you know, following the same, the same sort of process. And I think it's perhaps a process that many people discover independently. Um, I mean, it, it, for the people that, you know, listen to that episode, perhaps it's something that they're coming to for the first time and they'll use those techniques in the field. But I'd also imagine there's a lot of people who listen that say, oh, you know, I, I do that same sort of thing. I just hadn't thought about it quite that same way. So it was a really fascinating conversation to, to listen to. Yeah, the lantern spotlight approach was, it was something that I had thought about before, but it wasn't until he had mentioned it and I kind of made that connection. Um, in a past episode, I mentioned how I was doing these weekly articles that were all kind of thematic. And the one for May and the newsletter that'll come out this Sunday on the third, fourth of June is all about awareness. Mm -hmm. And that lantern versus spotlight approach, I ended up writing up like just a quick little article on my thoughts and perceptions on that approach and how that correlates with awareness and why it's important to kind of follow that more of a lantern approach to photography, especially because like for years I had gotten stuck into the spotlight approach. I was constantly chasing waterfalls. Yeah. And you shouldn't just do that. You, one... shouldn't, you shouldn't chase waterfalls. That's what they say, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. You I, stick I enjoy to the it. rivers and the streams that you're, that you're used to. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be many people out there that don't get that reference. And, and oh, I they're know. probably better I than know. us for that reason. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I think I actually, one of my articles, I, I said something like that. I'm like, don't take, despite uh, the advice of TLC, don't, it's, it's okay to chase waterfalls. But anyway, but I had gotten into this like spotlight approach of chasing waterfalls and it was just, I, I stagnated creatively. Like I got, I got to this point where I'm like, and my girlfriend had said it, like, it's all the same. And I think that's the biggest issue when you are following a spotlight approach because you, your portfolio stagnates. You get yeah. to a point where you are just photographing the same things over and over. And while that can be great in terms of making a project of something, there's also something to be said about having a project that, okay, so you want to focus on waterfalls, but waterfalls are so much more than just the actual water falling from the high rocks. It's the what that waterfall gives to the areas around it, to the ecosystem around it, to the trees and how the trees correlate with that. So there's so much more, like if you're just focused on the waterfall, you're missing out on everything around it. Yeah. And I think that's really where that lantern approach comes in. Uh, you can make a really nice cohesive project that's going to be even better and less stale if you're focusing on how everything connects. And that's really what Simon was saying too. And what I've continued to learn in the woodlands was while you're if you're able to learn more about your environment and you're doing deeper research and figuring out, okay, well, what's this tree and how does this tree correlate with this one? Or 
certain fungi uh, go along and only go to these specific trees. Well, why is that? What kind of relationship do they have? And looking at the broader, grander scheme of things in these intimate areas is so much more fulfilling than going up and being like, oh, that's a cool waterfall. Click and walking away, which I think is something that so many people do. Exactly. It basically is, it's a matter of not having a connection with the environment. And it's just kind of like, um, have like the, the trophy hunting in terms of the, the iconic sort of scenes where there isn't as much thought in it. And it's just, it's, it's a shallower, it leads to a shallower body of, of work. Um, I love the approach of following one's curiosity where one thing leads to another, which leads to another. And it's not a straight path. It's, it's a zigzag line. And in the process of doing so, you discover so much more about the area. Um, and, and I think that's definitely a matter of where we're following the curiosity is, is extremely important for, for stuff along those lines. We are like 12 minutes into this and I'm already sweating buckets. Just so everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you is, hear if you hear some water just being in the background, it's not a waterfall. It's uh no, yeah, no. yeah. I wanted to add some like what is that ASMR to yeah. the podcast just, a little bit. Little, so I little, figured if I just profusely sweat, it'll kind of sound just, like a like the raindrops yeah. or something. Yeah. So it's about ninety degrees outside right now in Pennsylvania, which is awful after like seventy mid seventy degree weather. So, yeah. this closet is very hot. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> going to our conversation, <laughs> yeah. all of this links to a video that I had just recently listened or watched, uh, maybe 15 minutes before getting on here with you today, mm-hmm. which is Too Many People Are Going Outside. That's the title of it. And really, a couple key points from it. It's talking about how, because in 2020, we really saw this surge of people that wanted to go out in nature. Yeah. And oh, yeah. The national, <laughs> I saw that firsthand for sure. Exactly. The National Park Service experienced amazing numbers in terms of um, visitors. And while this is great from the outset and in terms of like spending and employment, the revenue that they're, gain, that they're gaining, the National Park Services have never looked so strong. But the problem comes in where these masses of people are really aggregating in a limited number of areas of parks. Yes. Like yeah. like Acadia, Zion, Great Smoky Mountains, Rocky Mountains, and Grand Canyon are kind of the top five or so. Mm-hmm. Which is creating major issues for like the small towns like Moab in Utah, which I believe is where Guy Tall lives. Uh, he's in the Tory area, which is Torrey, in the region, right. but okay. closer to Capitol Reef, yeah. Gotcha. I wasn't quite sure which one. But regardless, Moab only has about 5,000 people who actually live there. Yeah. But it's right in the middle of all of these different sites, like the five big sites for Utah, why people go there. And it's drawing three to five million visitors annually. Yeah. yeah. And this tourism, what this video really is getting to, is that this tourism is killing off this small town because you have what used to be long-term resident housing is mm. now short-term residence yeah. because of all the visitors. 
you have um, the restaurants that people are going to for breakfast before a hike or for dinner afterwards are being slammed with people, which again, on the outside looking in, oh, well, that's great for the restaurant. That's so much money for this town. But the employment overall is beyond down because of this. The, these restaurants are being straddled. And just overall, this town is just being killed off because of this tourism, um, because the people that live there don't want to be around it. They don't want to deal with all that traffic coming through. Yeah. And especially in Utah, it's like what, nine months out of the year that people are able to really, really travel and enjoy these areas. Yeah, there's definitely a very, there's definitely a busy season, that, that's for certain. So, and then it goes into to talking about like um, the fact that Arches National Park closed 16 times in uh, September of 2020 alone due to overcrowding. And then in the first 17 days of October, the gates were closed every single day. Yeah. Um, and then really what struck out the most and the quote that I pulled the most that had huge impact was they said, today, millions of people are going outside not to get lost, but to be seen. Which is just yeah. talking about how- Social media and such. Exactly. Exactly. People aren't going out into nature because they want to get lost in nature, because they actually want to enjoy the psychological- benefits that you gain when you are out among trees or riverbeds or any of that. Instead, they want to go out and they think, oh, well, XYZ individuals who have X amount of followers are going to Arches National Park and they're getting these great photographs and they're having such a great time. But So they want to go out there and they want to take photographs of their journey and they're sharing it online and then geotagging it. And then they're saying, to their friends and to whoever follows them, even if it's a small amount, well, you guys should go out here because it was a great time. And look at all yeah. these great pictures that I took. Look at all of this great experience that I had. But in actuality, what kind of experience did you have if all you're doing is documenting? And again, this is something that I wrote a little bit about in one of my articles from May. But again, going to this awareness concept and this idea of are we truly aware of what's going around us? what's happening around us if we are if we have a middleman in front of us that's preventing us from actually being in this experience if we have our phones out even if we have as photographers our cameras out we aren't truly experiencing that because we have a screen in front of our faces that we're experiencing things through or looking at the world yeah. through so yeah it's uh, there's it's definitely been a different sort of crowd. Um, and it's almost as though there could be some analogies made where it, it's almost like you're, you're mining the natural resources and taking from the environment, but in a different way than, than literally mining the environment. But it's going to, the, going to some of these national parks with the sole purpose of taking um, as far as like, you know, creating the quote content. And I, I really despise that word for some reason. I don't, I don't know why, but, <laughs> but, but like, but just like taking, but without, without really absorbing one's surroundings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it and, goes back to what we talked about last week too, with the, mm -hmm. like how we describe photography. It's your, you're taking a photograph. 
Yes. You're shooting a scene. You're capturing a moment. Yeah, it's, very it's, it's all about consumption. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and it's and it seems like if if you just simply take from a location and then leave in your wake, you know, this digital footprint that will keep expanding and you know have more people going there and taking more and more. I mean, for me at least, one of the main things is going to these areas is you you have to have some sort of connection with the environment and you have to kind of let it like I don't I don't know really how to say this but you have to you have to absorb things without taking things um yeah. and, it, and it becomes a part of you in a way and and I definitely try to find a good way of straddling that line in terms of yes I'm going to these areas to take photos i'm going there and i'm recording videos along the way but i don't want to feel like i'm taking from the in from that location at the expense of that location and which i think is also one of the reasons why you know i'll spend time there without my camera um which is also something that that um you and simon had talked about um but going there without the camera, without any sort of pressure beyond it, but just to absorb one's surroundings and to explore. But also, I, I do try to do something where as I leave a place, I'll feel like I actually contributed in some way to that place, which is usually a matter of just like cleaning up trash or whatever, which is the only real way I can think of in terms of actually walking away from a location and feeling better about it and feeling that I didn't personally make it worse by being there um but that's not as as common of a thing i don't think especially among the crowd that simply wants to use the places as a backdrop as opposed to you know feeling that connection with the area um but i couldn't help but wonder while watching this video like what kind of impact do especially photographers like yourself who are going to places like Zion and Death Valley. And even yeah. though you're not going to those popular places like, um, what is it, Zabrinsky Point in Death yeah. Valley. The really people um, places. Yeah. Yeah. like And, <laughs> and the Angels Landing in yeah. Zion. Yeah. While you're not going to those areas, you're still drawing awareness to Zion. You still yeah. have a following and you still are publicly representing these areas. And for as much good as you're doing in terms of picking up the trash and such. They're still awake. Yeah. There's still some kind of, even if it's menial, some kind of harm that comes from displaying these areas as being what they are. as so beautiful. Yeah. But, but still, instead of like the work that Simon and I do, and even, even Simon, he was saying that he now has to kind of find new areas to go to because somehow, some way- People are finding out what parks he's going to, even though they're his local parks that he's been exploring the past six years or so. Yeah. They're now, people are figuring out, oh, well, based on this, this, and this, oh, he's here. So now I'm going to go there because he takes so many great photographs there. I want to do the same thing. That's so I that's wonder mentality kind of like, I'll, never, I'll never understand. It just, yeah, it, yeah I, I can't stand that. Like, by all means, I would love to go to Zion and Death Valley and experience those places. but. If I had never seen 
your photographs if I never seen Michael Gordon's or Guy Tall's photographs from these areas? Would I actually want to go? Or would I be just as content staying in the woodlands here and exploring these intimate areas? So I definitely yeah. think that there is some kind of quote unquote harm that we are doing yeah. when we are publicly representing these places, especially all of the landscape photographers who are going to these real popular national parks for workshops. So yeah. just something that like I was thinking about. And obviously like there's you're not doing anything wrong truly. And you can't put the blame on you or on Guy Tall or those anyone else really. Um because you're you personally find meaning there and you will go there for a specific reason and you're not going to these you're not really contributing to these overcrowded areas like what so many others are. But still there's that question that kind of lingers in the back of my mind of what what role do we play as photographers doing what we do yeah if, i mean if not for photography these places wouldn't be as well known i mean yeah they, they call it death valley for a reason um <laughs> i mean the reason is yeah i mean people died there but but like, uh, like if you if you're just going down a list of of national parks, and there's one called Death Valley, like ah, I don't know, the marketing behind this one is uh, a little lackluster. Yeah, yeah, but Zion, that that's that sounds like paradise. So uh, yeah, I mean that one that one sounds a little nicer. Um, yeah, but yeah, we we definitely have to look at our impact. Now, I will say that of the people that I know who have found out about the you know, the broader places I go to, whether it's Zion or Death Valley, not really specific off the beaten path parts of the park, but but of knowing of Zion or whatever by watching the videos, I'll say that the people that I've talked to that I've um that I've met, you know, afterwards and such, they do seem to hold the places with a lot of respect. Um which is good, which I think is different than, and also I think it's because through the videos, I do show a bit more of my relationship with these areas, which and you're, you're also shows, not like you're also not in the limelight as much as so many other influencers exactly. are, which is you're one of the reasons being, why I don't really want to be in the limelight because I think that will honestly ruin things in, in yeah. many different ways. I think it's a major a major contributor to that is the fact that a you're not in the limelight. You're not like blasted on YouTube. I mean it's not like you open up YouTube from from a non-signed in account and you see Ben Horn's face <laughs> and Ben Horn's face and like, <laughs> you're, you're not you're not the Mr. Beast of YouTube kind of deal. Oh uh, yes. Yes. But and at that same time even the videos that you're doing you're showing yourself even though people get upset with it by certain comments that i've seen like 12 minutes of walking why the hell did i watch this <laughs> but and and you picking up picking up trash and the kind yeah. of energy that you bring through your videos is more contemplative more peaceful so i think that contributes a to the audience that you bring in but also the perception of wilderness and the um it's not necessarily a glorification of these areas but rather a, an appreciation of them yeah and, and and perhaps it's a bit more if, like, for example, if a particular area was mentioned in a book or something, in more of a long-form format like a book, if something's mentioned, 
you know, that area is probably going to have not as much of an impact as a place that's mentioned on like TikTok or something like that, where suddenly you get millions of people looking at it. And with, you know, anything that has, is mentioned in any sort of media that has a very short attention span, um, I, I think is immediately going to lower the bar of entry to the point that people that may not have any respect for it would think that that's a good idea to go like, you know, right on canyon walls and, you know, create cairns and all kinds of stuff like that. So I, I think that plays a role in it as well. I think the people that would probably not treat the park well probably don't have the patience for watching my videos. And uh, yeah. so maybe that's a good thing. Um, I Speaking of comments, I did, uh, there's one comment that um, it didn't go through. It was automatically, um, uh, uh, you know, sorted away in a different folder by YouTube. But it was something along the lines of, too much of your face in this video. I really don't want to see your face. <laughs> Less face now, please. Or, you know, something like that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, there we go. Well, listen to the podcast. Here you go. Yeah. Though, though ironically, in that series of videos, I was wearing like a face covering for most of the video for sun protection. So I'm not quite sure what they were getting at because you could see like my eyes and my glasses for most of it because I didn't want to get sunburned. But they just yeah. don't want to see your eyes. Your I, eyes I are just too tantalizing that it just draws them away to an alternative plane and they just I need some sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You just need like one of those full on masks that you wear. You should wear yeah. a monkey mask in one of them or something. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <sighs> one of the other things with uh, with YouTube comments that I was looking at, because here and there, and I know I shouldn't, and I try not to as much anymore, is looking through these comments on various YouTube videos, because yeah. it's such a toxic place, and I can't imagine how guys like you do it when you're getting pinged from comments or whatever. <laughs> so one of them was on Nick Carver's latest video, which you had commented on. Yes, yes. Um, and for those who don't follow Nick, um, I highly recommend it. He's probably one of my favorite YouTube YouTube photographers. Um, yeah, he's, he's a really cool guy. So he recently put out a video on a streaming series that he plans on doing or actually has done, I should say, where he was feeling, and he'd mentioned it in a previous episode or so, that he was feeling with his on-location videos that he was doing, he just wasn't really getting a lot from them in terms of personal satisfaction because of having, it was taking away from the moment and the experience of it by having to video everything. Mm -hmm. And so he was trying to figure out a way to kind of go about this series because it's one that draws in a lot of attention from to his channel and partially why he's gotten the number of views that he has so far. But so he did this, I think it's like a $30. Yeah, it's, it's like like four hours of video, like, like yeah, it's far like, it's like more in-depth than the normal series. Yeah, I want to pull it up here. So it's what he calls an extended play. And he describes it as um, just a much, much longer uh, version of his photography on location videos that he did on YouTube. So instead of watching a, I don't know, 15 to 20 minute video on YouTube of him photographing wherever, 
it's now, as you said, about four hours worth of video. Extra videos on trip planning and prep, image technical notes, scanning and printing. I think there's a video of his series Behind the Glass with a Glass, where he kind of sits down and talks about a photographic concept or something. He's only charging like $30 for this video. And then you can also get, uh, which will lead us into what you've been working on, but Mm -hmm. a signed zine with the videos for $55, roughly. Yeah. Um, Or you can just get the zine only for $35. The zine is going to be, right now is pre-order for August. It'll be signed. And then anyone who signs up for the extended play will automatically be entered to win a 12 by 36 inch limited edition print that was featured in the series. I mention all of this not only because I really appreciate what Nick is doing, and I think he is doing something that takes a lot of guts, mm-hmm. takes a lot of, um, of courage to do when everybody wants things for free anymore. Yeah, yeah um, and that's definitely something that we've mentioned in the past about the whole you know, concept of people expecting stuff for free these days. Exactly. And it, it goes hand in hand then with, with the video, the comments themselves. I mean, a lot of the comments that I read were overall negative about this. And that's not obviously fully reflective of his audience. It's not fully reflective of the people that truly appreciate things. It's just what was seen on the outset. And I ended up sending him an email about it because I'm, I felt bad. I'm like, you're doing something here that, again, takes a lot of courage to do. It takes a lot of uh, willpower to push through this and say, no, I'm going to do it my way. And so I sent him an email about it. But regardless, it, it goes in that idea, like you said, of everybody wants something for free. And even though he has put in countless hours yeah. of, of effort into this series, into all of his videos that he does, and he's still, he even said it, he's still putting out stuff for free. He's still going to do on-location videos for free on his YouTube. He's still going to do behind the glass with a glass on YouTube for free. And all this other stuff that he's putting out there, he just wanted to do something that was long form, that was more satisfying, more meaningful to him. And the backlash to that was, was just upsetting to see. But there's also a very high number of comments of people that were very, um, very receptive to it too, as well. It's a difficult thing. Um, because I think it's in some ways what people, it's not quite what they were expecting, but it's also the reality of if one is going to be able to put that much time and effort into creating something, you know, it, it can't all be done for free. And, and also something yeah. that I've mentioned in the past, and I think this is something that, um, that Nick is also, um, very, was probably one of the reasons behind is that, you know, with with YouTube, since people are um, compensated for the number, well, they're compensated by ad revenue based on the number of views they get, which is why you see all the clickbait stuff because it's it's the formulaic stuff that mm-hmm. people do because they know it gets attention. But in 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 that same sense, they by doing that approach, the sort of the the clickbait uh, approach, telling people what to do, what not to do, you know, uh, that whole thing. It's, it's the safe approach. 
but it's the safe approach that doesn't do anything to it, it, it's got to be wildly and un, unsatisfying I'll, I'll put it that way yeah um because it's not doing something that you enjoy doing for the sake of doing that thing it's now you're doing something simply to try and perhaps game the system and trying to get attention and, and playing by someone else's rules so in a comment i left on on nick's video is that you know it's it's i i I really enjoy seeing people coming up with creative solutions that allows them to basically produce that high level of work in a way where you don't feel like you're giving up anything. Because ultimately in the long run, I think people want to see people produce work that is meaningful. And that's difficult to do if you are just being rewarded by the same clickbait sort of videos that everyone else is doing and so I, I i think it's a i think it's a really nice approach and actually when he mentioned the price on it, i thought actually that i mean it's a very well thought out price but i thought it was gonna be more than that yeah that's um, kind of what i was thinking too when i saw that it was yeah. like 30 bucks i'm like oh that's for four hours of content like yeah okay i get it for 15 dollars a month you have full access to the back catalog of netflix which is thousands yeah. upon thousands of hours of content and same yeah. goes with Hulu and HBO Max and all that other stuff. So in a way, I can kind of see the backlash of, well, if I'm paying $15 a month for thousands of hours of content, where's the justification? What kind of value am I getting from spending $30 on four hours? So yeah. I can see that- So it's that a one-time thing in that sense. I know it's easy for people to, for just like a one-time fee, I, I think it's- it. it I think he did a good job with the the pricing of it all. Yeah, um, I'm definitely not trying yeah. to take away from that. I just I can see yeah. it from the other side too. It it's yeah. it gets very difficult for a lot of people to justify spending so much money on what can be perceived as so little. Like for me, thirty dollars on a on a four hour long video from Nick Carver is nothing because I get a lot of value out of seeing his process. I get a lot of value from interacting with him through email and on a more personal basis, but even from just the videos alone and seeing just the the fun that I get out of watching a video. And I know that I can go back to that video and watch it again and again and still get even more out of it, always taking something else away from it. So for me, the value is there. But as was highlighted from the comments too, I it, it's tough. It, it's tough to try and figure out what kind of value there is for something as extensive as this. So Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how that evolves over time, whether that will become more of a, like an annual sort of thing where he comes up with something or, because it, it, it takes so much time and effort to put into that. I mean, I was just looking at like, in terms of creating, you know, you know, four hours worth of video content, I'm like, you know, I, I record a lot of video in the field and then I'll end up with like, I don't know, 12, 15 minutes for a day or two worth of yeah. video. Yeah. And so that's, it's, it's a lot of work that goes into it. And I also know that sometimes the video after the fact and the more of the studio sort of setup, that sort of stuff is sometimes more difficult to do. Um, it's, a, it's a little easier in the field for, for whatever reason, because it's just, 
you know, it's, I don't know. I, I trip over my words a lot less when I'm in the field versus in the studio and take like seven takes to try to get something to, to work out just right. But that's probably just a me problem there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but on, on, on the topic of, of zines, um, I still have yet to go on my spring trip and the weather might be okay in a week or so. I don't know. I, I've said that, but then all of a sudden I see thunderstorms in the forecast. Um, which is not good for where I'd want to go. But I decided to kind of flip-flop things and just keep waiting and potentially go in that spring, perhaps summer trip. Yes, um, summer at this point, let's be honest. Exactly. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, I decided, because I was going to start working on my zine project during the summer, but I figured, you know, why not just start working on that now where I can start getting some of that stuff under, you know, out of the way. And so I started working on that project uh, a couple of days ago. I started trying to figure out what format it should be, and I like the consistency of it being eight by ten inches in a um, sort of portrait orientation, kind of standard book sort of orientation. Um, that way, it's the same size as the folios that I create, um, and so. I started laying things out and I came up with a cover design um, I like and just try to figure out the various layouts in terms of how to display, you know, horizontal versus vertical photos and having a couple pictures on a spread and where the type, type goes and um, the column width for the type, the size of the type. So I've, I've been going through that process and, and I really do like how it's taking shape. Um, and I've plugged in enough images in there for the stuff that I got from my, uh, my winter trip that I'm happy with. So it covers about half of the, um, the size of it. But uh, I've come to the conclusion that um, I'm going to make it with 100% um, recycled paper because I think that just kind of fits. It's a little bit more expensive to do it that way, but I think it's better in that sense. Kind of fits um, thematically with your approach of things exactly and, and since this is something it's not meant to be something as permanent as a book in reality yeah give it time a bunch of them will be tossed and so in that sense you know if people turn around through it the recycling bin that's cool um, but i was also thinking in terms of what i really should do is i should offer the zine by itself but i should also offer the zine plus a print um, and just have it be the same basically the same size uh, print as what's included in my portfolios and make it maybe an image that's not included with the uh, the print portfolios, but one that would have been like a, just as, you know, good enough to be in there as well. And something kind, that would kind be of in like the a zine. B side. Yeah. Yeah. So it's because usually I end up having 10 images in the print portfolios each year, but I have a good solid, you know, 12, 13, 14 images that I'm happy with. So it'd be one of the ones that didn't quite make the cut for the folio. Maybe thematically it didn't quite fit in with the other images there, but uh, offer that with it. The only thing I was trying to think, figure out is the timing of it all. Um, because once I get back from my fall trip and I go through the images from the fall trip, you know, I have a lot of work to do. I have to put together the videos. I have to select the final two or three images for the print portfolios. I have to print those images. I have to ship out the print portfolios all while still working on the videos. And now also I would probably need to, in addition to that, work on the, uh, the zines. 
So that's a lot of work in a very short period of time. Um, so it has me thinking that perhaps I should uh, wait on shipping the print portfolios until after the new year. But I, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure it out because it's a serious bottleneck in terms of lots of things. So yeah, that's the thought process going right now. But I, at least I have the format of the zine. I have sort of the layout set, but I, I just have to figure out the logistics. And I think that's going to be the, the tricky part. Is there any way for you to, as much as you may not want to, but to outsource the, the zine and the, um, the print itself, that package, entirely to whatever company you choose to print from? Um, I don't think there's a great solution for that. Honestly, mailing out the zines is not a big deal. Um, you know, I basically I can have the design ready to go, hit a button, and then a week or so later they show up and and, and that's that. So it's not that part's not that big of a deal. Um but at least, at least in terms of like the fulfillment process and the especially with that bundle, it would take yeah a lot of the work off of your payload, that process. Yeah. I mean there there could, but I don't know. I, I like the idea of mailing things out um that way i have a bit more control over the process i make sure things are presented in the way that i want and make sure that i can flip through and make sure that there isn't any outrageous flaws in them and stuff so i don't know i don't know it's 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 a tricky one but i was i was also thinking i have a bunch of um boxes from uh eight by ten film that are sitting in a closet i mean i i I have a few on hand that I use for putting empty or uh, exposed film in on the trip, but ultimately these things stack up. I got a pile of like, I don't know, like 12 boxes or something in my closet. I was also thinking about creating like a, a gift pack where it's the, like the folio, the zine uh, presented in like a Fuji Provia box. So just kind of a fun <laughs> little thing, putting it all together. Yeah. But again, it comes down to the logistics. So yeah. I uh, think like you said, I got timing, some stuff to think through. Timing yeah. is going to be key. Yeah. I mean, you, like you said, you don't want to, all of a sudden, fall comes around, you get back from your final trips, and you have a ton of work to get finished yeah. up with. Um, Meanwhile, my summers are just like really slow. That's why I, I kind of feel I, like yeah. if you could get a head start on either the zine or the folio itself, kind of start everything by like this time of the year. And get into that process because that way you have the entire summer to really get everything going and get into the flow yeah. of things. That way, by the time that fall comes around, you only have a little bit of work here and there, and then it at least alleviates some of that stress. But and, and usually, I'll, I'll will have the prints already produced for um, the portfolios uh, during the summer months. So usually, that's all done, um, and I'll even go through an old number and might just have to put like a couple more prints in there and, and complete them. Um, so I usually do a little bit of that, but I, I do I do wonder, and maybe this is a, a question for the people on the Discord. I, I've tried to make sure that the folio ship in time for you know the holidays and such. I don't know if people care. I, I've always figured some people might get them as gifts, so so I should have them available to ship by Thanksgiving or so. But the question is, do people even care? I mean, if if I shipped it in like. Like if I ship the folios in, in March or something like that, like, would that be just fine? So I don't know, maybe, maybe something to put out for the discord. 
if if people care i don't know <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm sure that you'll get at least i don't know say 10 percent. say 10 percent of people actually care about that but the mass majority eh, i can't really personally i yeah. wouldn't care like yeah there's there's some kind of pre-built excitement of opening up a package from your parents or from a loved one or something that they surprised you with it or even from yourself and you got it like in the mail that within that vicinity of time like there's that that pre-built excitement of it but at the same time it's just as exciting to get that in the mail in the middle of the summer like yeah so i i think there's there's definitely seasons for it that would be better so i think the summer months is kind of like a dead period it doesn't really make sense at least to me logistically to be shipping things i kind of think of like how books are released so typically books are done in like the spring months or mm -hmm. they're in the fall for the holiday season. Those are like the two biggest things. Um, yeah. Kind of like the turning of the tide kind of seasons. So I could definitely see, I mean, there's only, ultimately there's only one way to find out and it's just a matter of, yeah, try it, push it off, <laughs> yeah. see what happens. Um, yeah. Because our, the people that are going to interact with this episode, let's be honest, in the Discord are like, one percent of your audience <laughs> like it, it's very few so i think they're the most the the best the best looking people of of all the people just gotta I, I mean i don't know i don't compliments here yeah i don't i don't know i've never actually seen half the, their faces the most so. talented yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i don't think that's gonna help <laughs> uh. <laughs> sorry burst your bubble there a little bit but yeah yeah so but ultimately yeah i don't think it's going to really matter that much i say just yeah. try it see what happens just make an announcement and be like hey i'm doing this this zine thing or push the zine off because that's newer and you don't have that establishment as much so push the zine yeah. towards a like march release and do the box set as you normally have because ultimately it's going to be a lot of work regardless but the zine may be a better option to see to kind of judge that thing from that's true we we shall see we shall see it's un uncharted territory for me at least that's that's for sure yeah yeah all right i gotta get out of this closet it is goddamn hot i hope you enjoyed our creative banter you can learn more about cody's work by visiting his website codyschultz.com and you can find my work at benhorn.com for further discussion join us at patreon.com slash creative banter it's a place where we can interact with you the listener and although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier discussions are open to everyone whether you're a paying member or not thanks so much for listening and we'll see you around next time